Hey, well, good morning, LifePoint Church. We are so glad that you uh, are joining in with us here online. Uh, I would like to just say welcome to all of our guests that may be uh, jumping on for the first time. And uh, I just want to point you to a resource that we have uh, for our guests and, and for all of our people, really, but mainly for our guests. It's called lpguest.com. Uh, I would love for you to open another tab, go to lpguest.com if you're new with us, uh, and fill out our guest information card. Uh, you can go there, and you can put in some information on some things that you're interested in, uh, and we want you to do that so we can help uh, get you best connected uh, in the ways that you want to be. And so go to lpguest.com, fill that out. Our service notes will be there as well, so if you want to follow along with us this morning, you'll be able to find our notes there. And at the bottom of our guest information card uh, on lpguest.com, there is a portion where you get to choose one of our ministry partners. Uh, and with our ministry partners, you can uh, select one and we will donate $5 in your honor. No strings attached, just saying thank you for being here uh, with us this morning. And some of you uh, may be uh, curious as to who I am. This is the uh, LifePoint Westerville campus broadcast, and uh, my name is Braden Rodriguez. I actually am the student and 1825 pastor uh, at our LifePoint Delaware campus, and I am beyond blessed uh, to be with you all this morning. I am uh, so happy that uh, Ed has asked me to come over from Delaware here to Westerville and, and get to speak to you all this morning. And so I would like to, uh, before we get started, uh, just tell you a little bit about my family, introduce uh, to you a little bit about me. Uh, so my wife's name is Hannah, and we just moved here from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, almost a year ago now. We're about 11 months in to being here at LifePoint and in the Midwest. We grew up in the South, and man, we love it here uh, in Ohio, and we're uh, ecstatic to be uh, here. We have two daughters, uh, one named Rowan, the other Naomi. They're twin girls. Uh, they're about 15, 16 months old now, and uh, man, they are uh, a lot of fun. We've been enjoying the weather, at least for summer and fall. Spring has been pretty good so far, but winter was a little rough for us, but uh, so just be praying for us in that, but that's just a little a bit about us, and uh, we are jumping into a new series uh, to the, today, this morning, and it's going to go all the way through summer. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, and in the Gospel of Luke, we're calling this series Labels. Uh, we're calling this series Labels, and uh, we have a tagline to it. It's, uh, the Gospel calls us to a life above labels. And so we're going to be in the book of Luke for really uh, a really long time, a good amount of time, and together as a church, here's what we're uh, going to do. We are going to read through the entire book of Luke together. Uh, we have made up a reading plan for us all as a church, all across all five of our campuses, uh, to read the book of Luke daily uh, through the month of May. Uh, starting May 2nd, we're going to read uh, the first chapter of Luke together, and we're going to read a chapter a day all the way through the month. And so, uh, we're doing that reading plan together, and there's going to be two ways that you can follow along in that reading plan. Uh, if you come to any of our campuses or uh, connect with uh, your community life pastor, your teaching pastor, anyone, uh, we can get you a physical copy of a journaling uh, Luke Bible. And so what that is, is it's got the text on one side and lines on the other that you can journal through as you read through uh, every day, underline and write what God is um, teaching you in that or you can do it digitally, uh, so you can do it on hardback, or you can do it digitally uh, through the YouVersion app. And on the YouVersion app, there's a, a plan called Luke Explained. Uh, and in Luke Explained, uh, it will give you the reading every day to read, uh, and then you can just go to the next day. 
Uh, and then we're all going to take Sundays off together. So we're asking that you read every day, Monday through Saturday, and then Sunday we're going to get together and we're going to read texts and preach out of Luke together. So it's about uh, 20-something days of reading uh, to do. You get to take Sundays off together as we read um, uh, the passages together here on Sunday morning. Uh, and we are just hoping that what we're able to do as a church is build the habit of reading Scripture daily uh, and building our devotional lives. And uh, a lot of us and, and some of us have, have yet to start reading the Scriptures daily. Maybe you're at once, twice, three times a week. Uh, we know that God's Word is living and active, and so we want to be in God's Word daily. And so we're hoping that this helps us all build the habits of just reading God's Word daily, and we've tried to make it as easy as possible. Uh, also, what we're going to be doing is we're going to have resources on our website at lifepointohio.com on our blog page. We're going to have six different videos of six different staff members across all of our campuses talking about how they do their own quiet time. And so as we're reading through these devotions in Luke and as we're reading God's word, you can go and watch these videos. And maybe if you don't have an established quiet time yet, watch these videos of our staff members and see how they uh, read through the scriptures and how they structure their quiet time because everybody's different. Uh, myself, I like to wake up early and, and, and do my quiet time over a cup of coffee, but sometimes um, that's not always the reality. I have kids, we have work, and so sometimes it gets pushed to 9 p.m. like I did the other day and sat in bed and, and read God's Word. And so it looks different for every, everyone. Some of you like to journal, some of you like to draw, and so hopefully as you watch those videos of our staff members uh, telling you how they do their quiet time, it will inspire you and maybe teach you how to do your own quiet time. And so to jump into where we are in our series this morning, uh, we're kicking it off, Luke chapter one, this series called Labels. And this thought uh, behind the whole series that we're gonna do is the gospel calls us to a life above labels. The gospel calls us to a life above labels. And what do we mean by that? Why are we saying the gospel calls us to a life above labels. Why are we calling it labels? Why are we studying the book of Luke? So if you look at the book of Luke, it's the gospel of Jesus written by a guy named Luke, and he's telling all of these stories. And so often in the book of Luke, we see this picture of marginalized people, labeled people who are, who are kind of given these titles, and then Jesus strips those negative titles away, and he frees them by the gospel. He frees them by the good news that he has come to save. We have things like women who culturally back then would have been considered almost uh, like second-class citizens. And Jesus comes to these women, and, and Luke, the writer, talks about how they were gospel partners, not just second-class citizens, and how they were the first to see the resurrection, not men, not the disciples. And then we see things like when Jesus comes in contact with prostitutes, right? Back then, prostitutes were also known sometimes as women of disrepute, right? They were disreputable in the community. And Jesus comes in and he eats meals with them and he frees them from their sins and lets them move on in the gospel. We see things like the tax collectors, Zacchaeus, man, tax collectors were just thrown into the lump sum of sinners. Often when you read the gospels, you see tax collectors and sinners, Right? They have these negative labels pushed upon them as traitors and, and all of these things. And Jesus frees Zacchaeus from that and changes his life. A lot of times we see in the, in the Gospel of Luke that these, are, uh, these, these labels are stripped away from Gentiles. But it's not just Gentiles. Right? It's also the Jews. Right? Jews are freed from, 
from pious um, religious law keeping and all of these things, and, and they are uh, free to follow Jesus. Zacchaeus was uh, a Jew. Matthew, uh, the disciple, was a Jew fo- called to follow Jesus. And this morning, we're actually going to be looking at two older Jews themselves, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, parents of John the Baptist, and we'll see how God lifts them uh, out of their labels and redefines their life. And the, here's why we talk about labels in this way is because labels are our limits. Labels, when we have labels put upon us, they're limiting to us, right? So often, right, we are labeled by the things that we wear, the things that we look like, or the things that we like, or the things that we do, right? If I came in here wearing an LSU t-shirt, you would would immediately say, oh, well, he must be an LSU fan, right? Or even worse, if I walked in here with a Michigan t-shirt on, right, here in Ohio, people would think I'm pretty much a scumbag, right, for wearing a Michigan shirt. You would label me just by what I wore and what I looked like before you ever got to know me, right? I'm not going to come in wearing a Michigan shirt, though, uh, here in Ohio. I'm, I'm down to go for Ohio State, but I'm still an LSU fan coming from Louisiana, but I'd know better than to go for Michigan, So that's the reality is that so often uh, many of us can relate to this is that when labels are put on us, it limits us, right? I'm I'm a mixed race. I'm half Caucasian. I'm part Mexican. I have a whole Mexican last name. I have tan skin. I have dark hair. And so often I get put in labels just because of that. My entire life has been this life of people putting labels on me for one reason or another because I'm from the South and Uh, because I'm half Caucasian. I've been told by family members that because of those things that I have to be Republican, right? And that's not right. And then on the other side, I've had family look at me and say, oh, because you're Hispanic, right? And because of economics and all of these things, you should be a Democrat. Just based off of what I look like, based off of my heritage and based off essentially my last name, people see me and say, hey, because of this, you are to be that. The gospel transcends all of that. The gospel, as we're going to see over these next uh, couple of months, transcends labels. And it strips those labels away and gives us a new thing. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Jesus says, I didn't come to make you Republican. I didn't come to make you Democrat. I didn't come to label you. No, I came to set you free. I came to make you a new creation. And now we look at the gospel and the gospel has tore down walls and he's tore down all labels. And we see in Ephesians chapter two, three through 14. But now in Christ Jesus, who once were far, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's talking to Jews and Greeks. He's saying, now, All of that is gone. You've all been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, talking about Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He says, now that you are in Jesus, you are of one blood, you are of one nation, and the old is gone, the new has come, all the dividing walls are down. There's no more Jew, there's no more Greek, there's no more slave, there's no more free. There's none of that. We are all one in Jesus. And we're going to see that in the gospel of Luke, that he is making new creations. He's tearing down labels, and now he has made us one in him. And so that's the context of the series on where we're going to be here in labels. But let me give you some context to the book of Luke as we jump into chapter one. Luke was a gospel partner, uh, as we see all throughout the scriptures. He was also a physician, but he was a gospel partner of Paul 
and many of the missionaries in the book of Acts. And he uh, wrote both the book of Luke and Acts. It's technically uh, one book uh, that tells this historical narrative of Jesus all the way through um, uh, into the middle first century, late first century about Paul and the disciples after Jesus has rose from the grave and has uh, sent them out on mission. And he follows in the book of Acts, uh, going to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in the book of Luke, he talks about Jesus' earthly ministry. So that's who wrote this book. And he writes this book, Luke and Acts, to this guy named Theophilus. To this guy named Theophilus. And he writes the book uh, and he says to Theophilus, hey, here's the reason why I'm writing this book to you. I'm writing this because, and if you go look at Luke 1, verses 1 through 4, it talks about how many are trying to take this account of Jesus and tell this story and make accounts of, of what happened in Jesus's life. He's like, I'm writing this so that you, Theophilus, that you, my beloved brother, can have an orderly account so that you know what I'm saying is legit. I'm gonna throw names in there. I'm gonna make it orderly. I'm gonna show you by, chrono- by chronology and all of these things what happens so that you can know what you're reading is reliable and true. I'm gonna throw out names so that way if you need to go talk to Paul, Silas, and Timothy, or you need to go talk to some of these disciples, James and John, sons of De- Zebedee, they're there. You know the name. Go find them. Go talk to them because they were eyewitnesses. You've seen it. And here we see Luke is trying to get the point across that, hey, this is reliable, this is true. And that's where we start in Luke chapter one. If you're taking notes with me this morning, I encourage you to do that. Note takers or history makers, the title of my sermon is this, The Gift of Redefinition. The Gift of Redefinition. Jesus is redefining our lives by the gospel. And so my sermon title today is The Gift of Redefinition, and we're gonna look at four points Four different points of God giving us something in our process of being redefined by him and the gospel. Uh, The first point is this, the Lord gifts purity. The Lord gifts purity. We're gonna be in Luke chapter one, starting in verse five. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So we have these two Jews, right? And we see that uh, in, in God redefining us that he gifts us with purity. And one thing that we see now is that we can be made pure in Jesus. Another way to say that is we can be made righteous in Jesus, that we can be justified by Jesus. We can be washed whiter than snow because of Jesus, because of him redefining our lives, stripping the labels away, he makes us pure. And we see a great example of this in Luke chapter one, verses five and six. We see uh, Zachariah, we see Elizabeth, and they, it says, were pure before God. They walked blamelessly before God. They followed God's rules. And so if we go look at the Old Testament covenant, the, the way that they would be made righteous, the way that maybe they would be made pure before God is that they would follow the laws. There were 613 Levitical laws that they had to follow as Jewish people and they had to make sacrifices as a part of that law and they would have to offer incense and they would have to be obedient to all sorts of different stuff. And they would be pure and righteous before God. They would have to sacrifice lambs. And now you're saying, well, dude, do I have to go follow 613 laws and sacrifice lambs so that I can be pure? No, no. Now we see that this side of the cross, this side of the resurrection, as we just talked about last week on Easter, now we can be made pure because Jesus did it for us. Jesus in our place. 
was the sacrifice. Jesus fulfilled all 613 laws. He was obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. He was that humble that he would come and die for us. So now we can be made pure and righteous before God because of Jesus being the sacrifice for us. A lot of times I like to save my gospel presentation towards the end, but if you don't know the gospel, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the rest of this message is gonna be hard to follow. It's gonna be hard to understand. Because here's the reality. I'm going to give you the gospel presentation now. Because if you don't know this, come to know this. is that God, Jesus, was in heaven, enthroned above all creation, above all angels. And he said, I'm going to put on flesh and come down as a human. Jesus came, virgin born. God stepping out of heaven, becoming Emmanuel. God with us. And he lived a perfect life, fulfilling all the laws. And then he goes to the cross after 33 years of living a perfect, sinless life, having traded his glory for flesh, having traded glory for walking and sweating, having the praises of angels so that he could then come to earth and then go to the cross, that Jesus would die on the cross for us and he would go to the tomb and three days later he would rise from the tomb so that we might also have a resurrection like his, that we might be saved so that, that we if we trust in him and believe in him and believe that he got up out of the grave, would be saved. So we can stand free and say, Jesus paid it all to all to him. I owe sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Or as the other hymn says, there was a fountain filled with blood that was flown from Emmanuel's veins. And now sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Jesus is the way that we are made pure and righteous before God. Now that when we are in Jesus, we are new creations. It says in 1 Peter that we are now a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special possession. Once we were not a people, now we are a people. Once we were in darkness and we've been called out of that and put into marvelous light. When we are in Jesus, God gifts us his gift of purity and righteousness. And once we get that purity and righteousness, we then get to live in that purity and righteousness. We are justified before a holy God. We are made right with him, and now we get to live as holy people. We sang a song that our church wrote, our Life Point Collective wrote it for our mission series, Always and Everywhere. And there's this line in this song that we, we sing. It, it says, let your love constrain us to obedience. What does that mean? is that once we are made pure by God, we taste God's love, now we want to live in purity and sanctification, this process of being saved continually to become more holy, that we would love him and become obedient to him. We walk into this marriage relationship with God and out of love, we follow him and we become more like him when we want to follow his laws. We want to, to chase after him with all that we have. We want to lay down our sins, right? Nobody... I hope nobody has ever gotten married out of fear. We don't marry God because we're scared of him. No, we marry him and follow him because we love him. How silly would it be to look at my wife and be like, hey, because I'm afraid of you, I'm gonna get married to you. How silly would it be to then say, because I'm scared of you, I don't wanna cheat on you. No, those wouldn't be reasons to get married at all. Those wouldn't be reasons to continue a relationship with my wife at all. No, it's because I love her, I want to marry her. And then because I married her and I love her, I want to be faithful to her. I want to be obedient to her. That's the first point this morning is that the Lord gifts us purity when he's redefining us. The second is this, the Lord gifts prayer. 
talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth, verse 7, Luke chapter 1. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And now while he was serving as priest before God, talking about Zechariah, when his division was on duty, according to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and he fell upon, um, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So we look at Luke 1, 7 through 14, and we see that. Uh, that Zachariah and Elizabeth are praying essentially for a child and Zachariah is a part of the priesthood and he is drawn by lot. Essentially, he gets uh, the short straw or rolls the dice and he has to go in. There was some historical context that they would have said that uh, the priest that had to go into, uh, into the temple, right, into the holies of holies and all these things would have to wear a rope around um, their, their waist because some, if they had sinned, would fall dead on the inside and they would have to pull them out. And so here Zechariah essentially kind of gets the short straw. He has to kind of go in and, and, he, and he's standing before the Lord. He's offering incense. And right, there's this way that in the Old Testament that there were all sorts of ways to meet with the Lord, but it was mainly through priests and prophets like Zechariah or like Moses or anybody like that that we see in the Old Testament that is uh, speaking to God directly. And so we see that he comes in and he has this vision of, of an angel standing amongst them while people are praying, while he's praying. And we see that God speaks to Zechariah. We see that in the Old Testament, and especially in the New Testament, that God is a personal God who wants to talk to us. We see that here by way of prayer and by sending of an angel. And so when we become believers, we get access to a personal God. Well, back then it was through priests and prophets. Now, both on this side of the cross, we have the Holy Spirit, it says, when we become believers, living inside of us. And now we have full access to God because God lives in us and mediates on our behalf. In our redefining, we get to talk to the Lord. And I'm not here saying that we can't see visions and dreams or anything like that, but I'm here to say that, um, man, we, we get to talk to God now. That, that in some of the main ways he talks to us is through his word and through speaking to him and his Holy Spirit leading and guiding us, right? Pray, talk to God, the God of the universe who made everything, made you and wants to talk to you, wants to talk to me. Psalm 116 verse two is one of my favorite Psalms in all of the scripture. It says, because he bends down to listen to me, talking about God, because God bends down to listen to me, I will pray as long as I have breath. Another way that the, uh, one of the translations says it is because he inclines his ear to listen to me, I will pray as long as I live. And so what does that mean? What does it mean? Because God bends down because he inclines his ear, right? It's a picture of this little girl who's walking into the room and her, her parents are there and all of her parents' friends are there and she is shy and she's a toddler. And so what does she do? She walks across the room and she tugs on her father's shirt and she cups her hands to her mouth saying, listen, and what does the father do? He puts her up on the table and makes her speak in front of everyone. No, he cups his hands to his ear and he inclines. That's what it looks like for 
God to incline his ear to us. That when we reach out, when we pray, he's got his hands cupped to his ear and he's listening. He bends down out of his throne to hear his children. This is the reason why Jesus says, when you pray to God, pray to him as father, that we have full access to him now because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of us. He speaks. Will you listen? He speaks by the Holy Spirit. Will you follow it? He speaks through his word. He's given us his word so that we can follow it. Will you read it? The Lord gifts us prayer in our redefining. As he strips away our labels, we have access and get to talk to him. Thirdly is this, the Lord gifts us with purpose. Luke 1, 15 through 17. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. This is talking about John the Baptist. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in spirit and power and Elijah, uh, or the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I love this part of the passage and I love this idea that God gifts us purpose when we come to know him and when he starts to redefine our lives. He gives us purpose. Zachariah and Elizabeth had purpose number one right in their life. They chased after the Lord. It says that they were righteous and blameless and they sought God. That was their purpose number one. That is all of our purpose number one in life is that we would give, uh, in the Westminster Confession, it says that we would glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's every Christian's purpose is that we would give God his glory and that we would get to enjoy him, that we would get to love him. And so we see Zachariah and Elizabeth, they follow this well, that they walk in the Lord. They give him his glory first. They pray to him. They follow his statutes. So often in the, in the scriptures, when we see that someone doesn't enjoy God, that they are struck down, especially wicked priests, right? And so here's a priest and his barren wife, and they love God, and they give God his glory. That is all of our purpose, number one. Jesus now looks at us and says, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right now we have a reason to live and is that we get to give God his glory. So are you going to share God's glory? Jesus says, love your Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and likewise love your neighbor as yourself. Are you loving God and are you loving others? Are you going out giving God his glory and enjoying him? That's what he wants. We see not only did they have this general call like we all had, they had this specific call. Right here in this passage, verses 15 through 17, we see that they were called to shepherd this boy that they're gonna have named John who will then uh, go and do all of these things. And they were purposed with this specific parenthood. It said that this son of theirs, John, is not to drink wine or strong drink, which is reminiscent of uh, Samson in the Old Testament, right? He was a judge that took the Nazarite vow. He wasn't allowed to cut his hair and he wasn't allowed to touch dead things and he wasn't allowed to drink wine or eat grapes. And so they're now supposed to raise this son in a Nazarite vow-esque way and that they are purposed with this parenthood, that they have this specific calling to raise this son so that this son could go make way uh, before Jesus and prepare the way for Jesus to come. And so they were called to be parents in particular. What are you called to do specifically by the Lord? Is it parent? My wife feels very strongly that the Lord has called her to be a mother and parent well. So my wife stays at home. That's a calling. 
I feel particularly called to herald the gospel, to preach the good news, and so I do. Some of you might be, feel called to be doctors and lawyers. Some of you might feel the call to ministry that you should quit your job that you've been working and go and be a uh, part of uh, ministerial vocationally or bivocationally. Some of you feel the call to go on mission and leverage your life for the sake of the gospel across uh, the seas and to the nations, to the unreached peoples, to the reached peoples. Some of us, uh, all of us, have this specific call that God has called us to in our lives. And if you don't know, be in great courage is that God has a plan for you. He will lay it out before you. God's plan is laid out here for John, that John would preach to Israel, that he would be great before the Lord. He would be like Elijah to the people, that he would make way the path of the Lord. This is not the only example that we see of this. We see the prophet Jeremiah essentially say the same thing. God goes to Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah chapter one. He says, Jeremiah, go, take my news to the people. And Jeremiah says, but God, I'm only a youth. And God says, that's okay, because guess what? I'm gonna go before you. I'm gonna watch over my word to perform it. So go. If God has called you specifically to go do something, be obedient. God gifts us with purpose. Don't fear the specific call that God has placed in your life, right? Because maybe you feel unqualified. There's this kind of cheesy, overused, cliche statement, but it's so good. God doesn't uh, God doesn't call the qualified, but uh, qualifies the called, right? That God would give you everything you need to do his uh, calling. Lastly is this, and shortly, is that God gifts us promises. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my word uh, which will be fulfilled in their time. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, after his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. So we see that God gives himself to Zechariah and Elizabeth as a promise. That he's praying to God and he said, how do I know these things are so? And Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of the Lord. I've come to tell you what God has told you. God has given you the answer. He is the thing himself. He is the promise himself. He gives a word. He gives an action that redefines everything about this old couple's life. That they're about to have a son. That she was once barren and they were kind of old. And now they are made different that God would promise it himself and he is the guarantee of his self-promise. <laughs> then he disbelieves and he's like, well, how will I know? He disbelieves and he says, okay, if that's not good enough, I'll give you another promise. You won't be able to speak. But God gives a promise. He gives us a promise. He offers us a promise when we come to know Jesus and are made righteous is that it is himself. God promises us himself, his word, his spirit, his guidance, those are the things that move in us, that redefine our lives, his, himself, his spirit, his word, and his guidance. That is the promise that we receive as him. And now 
when we look in his word, we see the promises that he gives to us is that he's always with us, that he will seal us with his Holy Spirit. He will provide for us. He will love us. He will convict us. If you don't know God's promises, go look in the scriptures and see what God is promising to his people. And now we look at the promises that God says, and it says in his word that all of the promises are found, yes, in Jesus All the promises that God has given are found, yes, in Jesus. They are validated by the cross. And this is the reason why we get to say amen or let it be so because the cross has validated everything that God has promised us. We get to say yes, amen. Let it be so. God, protect us. God, love us. God, convict us. We say let it be. And we look here at the last verse in verse 25. It says that she was pregnant and had shame. So often when we follow God, And he gives us these promises. We follow him. We're pure. We get to talk to him. Shame from the culture will come. Some of you have experienced it now for just being a Christian, saying you believe in God. They shame you, calling you unintellectual. Or because you won't put that flag or that sign in your yard, you're deemed shameful. Or you go and eat at Chick-fil-A and, oh, how could you support them as a Christian? People try to put shame on you for loving God. But God says, I am the promise. I am better than the shame. I will give you myself. And Elizabeth here looks and says, him, the one who gave me the promise, the one who answered my prayer is better than the shame that I have received. So therefore we can say what Romans 1.16 says and say, I am unashamed of the gospel. The gospel has ripped away my labels and I find it better than the shame. And so today I close with this, is that if you're, a believer, I would challenge you to take what was said here today and act, right? That if you're not fulfilling the purpose of giving God his glory and enjoying him, start. That if you have a specific call that you've been disobedient to, that you would go. That if you're not talking to the Lord, if you're not reading God's word and seeking his answers in prayer and all of those things, begin. Start praying. Open your Bible. Start in Luke chapter 1 where we're gonna be over the next month, that you would go, that you would ask the Lord to lead you and guide you, that you would not be ashamed of the gospel. Man, some of you might feel shamed and pressured to go with the way of the culture. Stand firm, proclaim, repent, and follow Jesus. Maybe if there's some of you who are watching, and we talked about it in in the first point, that maybe you've said, I've never followed Jesus in that marriage relationship kind of way that I've not put my trust wholly in God and I wanna be made righteous and pure before him. I know I've sinned. It says in the word, in the scriptures, that today is the day of salvation. If you uh, wanna make that decision today, I would encourage you to pray something like this. It doesn't have to be these words exactly, just the sentiment, these aren't magic words. Let's pray. If you wanna know Jesus, say something like this. Father, I know I'm a sinner. And God, I need you to wipe away all my sins. I need to be covered with the blood of Jesus. I want you to make me righteous. I want you to make me pure. I want to have access and talking to you. God, speak. God, I want to know what you've purposed my life for. I want to live for that great purpose of the gospel. And God, I want you as the promise and which is better than shame. God, we ask that you would move. Be our Lord and Savior. I believe. If you prayed something like that today, I would encourage you to 
to click our next steps button or go to our website and again fill out that guest connection card and and, and let someone know that you've made that decision today. Call someone, let them know you've made that decision today. If uh, you need any of our pastors or anything like that, please feel free to reach out. And as uh, we continue on from here, we encourage you again to pick up uh, the, the Luke study uh, with us starting May 2nd. And LifePoint, you are sent.